This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Cornhusker. Nothing personal word of the day is Cornhusker. That's the nickname for the Nebraska football team. The Nebraska University of Nebraska. The team is a part of the Big Ten who said they're willing, able, and desirous to go rogue. Can you imagine that's where we are in college football? You've got some conferences canceling, postponing, some conferences moving forward. We've let off the show now three straight days with college football this week because it is such a cluster. Let's catch you up where we are right now. In the Power Five conferences, In college football, the Big Ten has postponed their fall season. The Big 12 is updating us today, but they're releasing their schedule and it looks like they're moving forward. The ACC and the SEC haven't said a word other than, of course, we're playing. And that leaves one conference, Coca. Yes, it does. The ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 canceled their season as well. That's the fifth. Why is there such an inconsistent application of what's going on with COVID? It's because of what's happening in our country where nothing is consistent. But what's really bothering me this morning about college football and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as the Pac-12, is there seems to be an absolute misunderstanding of why decisions are being made by these universities. And I don't know how to say it more clearly or how to communicate it more clearly, though I have been able to speak to a president of a, of a university. And I've been able to try to, in this show, explain to you what it is that it takes to make this decision, that it's not about politics, that it shouldn't be about politics, and that there is no way. And the Big Ten commissioner came out and said this. There's no way to properly gauge the safety of the athletes because we don't know enough about what happens with the myocarditis. We don't know enough of what happens inside your body if you get COVID. And there's no way to guarantee protection. There is no way to bubble these students on campus. He was asked, his name is Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Commissioner. He was asked about Nebraska and how loud they've been in their displeasure, their desire to play non-conference games. 
Kevin Warren had a very terse response that showed the lack of unanimity in that conference. He said Nebraska is welcome to play any non-conference games they want, but how would they know their non-conference games because they wouldn't be in the conference any longer? His point was very simple. Either you are a member of the Big Ten or you're not. It's the same thing with an election, isn't it? When we ask you to go vote and you vote and your candidate doesn't win, you're still a citizen of the country. You still have to abide by the laws and you can work tirelessly for four years to change what happened to reelect or elect a different individual. But at the end of the day, you are still part of the country. And there are ways to deal with it. Some people, I guess, could just say they moved to Canada or moved to Europe. The reality is that most people stay and take a stand. When the Big Ten took a stand and said, we're not going to move forward, they had to deal with Nebraska, making themselves look as though they are one man on an island. And I went public saying that it was shameful what their coach was doing. And people didn't understand because people were saying, well, wait a minute, it's just a virus. Well, wait a minute, the death rate is so low and the demographic of the college students is such that it's not lethal and hospitalizations are down and there's no lack of PPE. There's no lack of, uh, that's personal protection equipment. And there's no, by the way, which there is a lack of in certain places on a campus, as you know. And there's also the ability to test. What these people are not realizing is they have it wrong. And I will reiterate for the third to final time, I want there to be sports, but I want it to be safe. And when I mean safe, that means I need decisions to be made that take into account the student athlete and the lack of understanding what happens with COVID going forward and the realization that these are amateur athletes. Kevin Warren was specific, the commissioner of the Big Ten, saying, listen, this is not the NBA, the NHL, MLB, or MLS. These students are students. They're amateurs. We are responsible for them. People are going crazy, saying it's ridiculous. Pay them. Different issue. This is ridiculous. Let them unionize. Different issue. There are people in the media who have huge platforms who are taking this opportunity to call out the college football conferences who are not playing by saying they're doing it because they don't want to meet the demands of the players. They don't want to pay the players. They don't want to adjust to a new college football system. That opinion comes from ignorance. Don't tell me you don't agree with what's happening because you want players to be paid or you want players to be unionized or you want players to have rights or you want players demands to be met. Get me a solution. You tell me how it's going to work in college. Do you want to just make colleges pro? I'm in. Let's take a vote. Let's disband the NCAA. Let's get rid of all college sports and make them all minor league feeder systems to football and to basketball and to baseball. Great. No problem. Let's take away the financial aid. Let's take away the education. Let's take away the housing. Let's take away all of that. And they will just turn pro out of high school. So when they give a letter of intent 
There's no such thing anymore. There's no letter of intent. I don't intend to go to OSU. There was some student who sad and was sad and woeful and said, I have to reevaluate my options. I'm a five-star recruit. For crying out loud, we spend hours on CBS Sports HQ giving you the latest and greatest four-star and five-star high school recruits and where they're going. I'm taking my talent to Ohio State. Ah, I changed my mind. They don't want to play. Let's just forget it. Let's not pretend that they're students anymore. Let's not pretend that a fraction of college athletes play professional sports. Let's not pretend that a minuscule, tiny, little, teeny number of college athletes make enough money to live their lives from being a professional athlete. Our very own on CBS, Danny Cannell, made it out of college, made it to the NFL from Florida State, was an actual performing player in the National Football League. He himself was on HQ yesterday talking about his reunion with fellow fellow Seminoles and the fact that he's the one who made it to the NFL. So the question I would have for Danny, who I love and is a phenomenally talented individual for us at CBS Sports HQ, he's on a Pick 6 podcast here, one of CBS's podcasts. He is uh, He has unique analysis and insight, having been on both sides. And uh, he's actually on cover three, not pick six. Sorry, Coca. Thank you. So download and subscribe to cover three. What I think that Danny is trying to say is that he wishes that these college players had a bigger, larger voice, that they had a seat at the table. And he's not alone in that. But what's going on at that table? Is that the table where there are decisions made about the finances of a university? Because professional players don't have a seat at that table. Professional players who are unionized and are paid, their seat at the table is based on collective bargaining. So does that mean that the every player in college will become a member of a union and they will collectively bargain because then you can forget all of you who love the SEC or the ACC or the MSP or the LSD, forget it. There's no conferences. It'll just be one huge group and they won't be associated with colleges. They'll be bought by people that'll own these teams and that's who they'll negotiate with. Now, on college campuses, there are unions. And yes, I've got experience with that. The unions are made up of people who work on campus, whether they're the food service workers. You've got unions left, right, and center who do negotiate with the president of the university. Do you think for one minute that colleges would allow players to unionize? And do you think for one minute that has one thing to do with COVID? For whatever reason, the Pac-12 All of their players are completely misguided. Remember the We Are United group in the Pac-12? And they made their list of demands that I ripped through on a previous episode of Nothing Personal. Not saying that they're completely wrong about wanting Sate to be safe. That I agree with. But they had demands about being paid and they had demands about certain revenue going to certain places. They released a statement yesterday That said, after Pac-12 canceled, it's obvious that the Pac-12 woefully unprepared to protect college athletes' safety in response to COVID-19 and could not address the basic and essential safety demands made by We Are United, the group said in their statement. 
The Pac-12's failures have made it clear that the time for change is now. The system is broken. College athletes deserve and need a real voice in the form of a players association. Wow. Okay. So what the players are saying is they want to use COVID as a launching pad to unionize, knowing that the maximum amount of time in their union is four years, which, by the way, is more than the average major league career. But in terms of what their pension would be and in terms of their health benefits, their human resource benefits and their protections and their pay, so they would unionize because they want to form a players association. Okay, so then they'd have to pay dues, but then the colleges would pay them a salary from which they would pay their dues. Okay, it's not going to happen ever. But if you think that the universities cancel the football season because of the Pac-12 demands, you're, you're literally delusional. It didn't happen that way. You think the Pac-12 didn't want to play football? You think that they didn't do everything in their power to play football? And by the way, having nothing to do with you, the player. A business decision required them to do everything they could to save the football season. Remember I talked about the left shoulder and the right shoulder, the business and the safety, taking care of the players, but you got to take care of the business side. What happens when those interests are not aligned? You got to err on the side of safety and health because you're not professionals. It's frustrating to me that there is this sort of banter and fire going on on Twitter because it's so full of misinformation. There is a sports law professor who just said, her name is Alicia Jessup. She said the issue with the We Are United athletes forming a union is there are 128 schools in NCAA Division I, but not all are private schools. The NLRA grants the right to unionize employees of private employers. It wouldn't apply to athletes at state schools. Let's not let the legal system get in the way because the players can just go to Congress starting in Nebraska and have the laws changed about how unions can be formed. I'm not even worried about that. How can players come out with demands and thoughts when they haven't even thought it through and have a cohesive point of view that is based in reality or any sort of legal principle? It's beyond me. What's also beyond me is these other Power Five conferences. The Big 12, as we record, they release their return to play protocols. They're doing blood tests, echocardiograms, cardiac MRIs. Non-conference opponents must adhere to COVID-19 testing protocols that conform to the Big 12 standards during the week leading up to competition. Blah, blah. Give me a break. Let me try to break it down for you what the Big 12 is doing as they are trying to find a way to play. And I still maintain my wait to see from yesterday, which is they're not playing. The SEC is not playing. At the end of the day, no matter how red they are, they will not find a way to pass this. What the Big Ten had tried to do was to have testing requirements that were universal in the conference. Except when you speak to the Big Ten presidents, they would say to you, we have no way to guarantee what's going on in Michigan or what's going on in Rutgers or Wisconsin or Iowa or Nebraska. We just have no way. It's not as though it's administered by an organization like MLB. Oh, that's right. The NCAA could do it, but they don't. The Big 12 is not, Big 10's not going to get in the testing business. They're going to count on the schools to adhere to the protocols. And the Big 10 president said, 
N-G-E. It's not good enough. But the Big 12 is saying, we got this. By the way, for all of you people telling me that there is no health risk and the death rate is so low, why would they need a cardiac MRI and echocardiogram? Let me see if I've ever had one of those. An EKG, that's nothing. You, you put the stuff on your unhairy chest and it basically goes boop, 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 boop. And they say your resting pulse rate is 45 and you're good. You got a little reflux. You got a little, a little um, uh, valve that's leaky, but you're good to go. Hmm, echocardiogram, cardiac MRI. Oh, because at least five athletes in the Big Ten have myocarditis that I've been talking about for a week and a half, which is an enlarged heart muscle that caused Eduardo Rodriguez to miss the entire season for the Boston Red Sox. Hmm, so I guess you're going to test that to make sure that they don't have myocarditis. That's good. But then they're going to make sure that their opponents do the same thing in the week leading up to the competition. How's that going to work? Are they going to get a report of every player's cardiac MRI and echocardiogram guaranteeing that there's some sort of uh, protocol that has been followed and that all the players have quarantined and that they're all negative? Okay, let's go with that. In conclusion for this football segment, nothing's changed. We don't have our arms wrapped around COVID-19 because we as a country are both stupid and free, and that's a bad combination. We couldn't get it together enough because people thought that wearing a mask or being quarantined violated our constitutional rights to assemble our freedom of expression, our freedom of speech. Well, guess what? We are where we are on August the 12th because we were unwilling to do what needed to be done back on April the 12th. The reason I saw college football being canceled coming from a thousand miles away is because I'm old. I've been around. I've seen how people act in their own self-interests. You think Nebraska coach Scott Frost and their president and their entire university gives one crap about their players? It's a joke. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about uh, why Joe Girardi is in trouble already with the Phillies. But before that, we have to talk some baseball. There's a couple of things going on in baseball that are interesting to me today. The first is there is a report, which we've talked about on this show, but now it's getting legs. I think because Nothing Personal got nominated for podcast of the year in the sports category, that maybe more people are listening and that maybe they're saying, ooh, that was sort of an interesting point. That made me think. MLB postseason in a Michael Buble. I think you have to. Jason Stark, a great baseball writer, wrote an article today in The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, it's a great uh, uh, site. They have great authors. They have great pieces. You heard one of their writers, Joe Varden, on a a Samson sit-down a couple weeks ago when he talked about the bubble and what's going on in the NBA. We know that the NBA and the NHL bubble are working. The NHL announced more negative tests. The NBA is piercing the bubble, not with a positive test, but they're starting to allow family members once the second round of the playoffs start. MLB is chugging along, trying to make up for games, getting the Cardinals back on the field, hoping not for a third-team outbreak the way the Marlins and Cardinals had. But in order for them to guarantee their postseason, We've said they've got to form a bubble. 
So now the question is, how do you do it with a bunch of players who in the beginning said, we're not bubbling? Well, it turns out they're sort of changing their mind because they're realizing we can't go out when we're on the road. There's no fans in the stands. We might as well get paid. And they know they get extra money if playoff games are played. Not just an actual payment that was agreed upon, but also when expanded playoffs were done from 10 to 16 teams, they got an extra $50 million. But on top of that, the more money the owners have, which means they can make their losses smaller, the better opportunity there is for some sort of relatively decent free agent offseason and arbitration eligible offseason. So it is in the best interest of the players. It always has been, but now they're on the program. They're saying, you know, I think a bubble would make the most sense. So MLB right now, let me tell you what's happening within their commission, within the commissioner's office. Back in March, when the Florida plan, the Arizona plan, the Florida, Arizona, Texas plan, we said here that those were never going to happen, uh, unrealistic, and that had nothing to do with where the COVID hotspots were. It's just you can't do regular season in a bubble in baseball. You don't have enough fields. You literally don't have enough fields in individual places. But for the postseason, it's doable. So what they're doing now is instead of just brainstorming, they're actually having logistics meetings where they've set up committees. I promise you they work by committee. One committee is on the baseball operations side where they're working on literally the schedule, how the playoffs would work, where teams could play, and timing of those games and figuring that out. Then you've got the labor committee, which is figuring out what they're going to have to negotiate with the union in order to make the bubble, even though in the agreement, MLB has the right, the commissioner has the right to put the postseason in the bubble. They're going to talk to the players union. They're going to communicate. They're going to negotiate. Once they come up with their plan, then they start working with the host cities. Odds are it's going to be California because you can play in Petco, Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium. Another possibility they're looking at would be in the Midwest where you can play at Cubs, White Sox, and Brewers. You could play in the Baltimore, Philly area. You could play in the New York, New York area. Any place where there's multiple fields. Weather, of course, is an issue, which is why the California bubble is a guarantee for the postseason because the weather's perfect and you can play a 1 p.m. game up to a 7 p.m. game. You can have two or two games per field. So in theory, they could have six games going on in California at once, two in San Diego, two in L.A. for the Dodgers and two in L.A. for the Angels. What they're trying to figure out, though, is from a scheduling standpoint, they then have to meet with the TV networks who cover the postseason. The way the postseason works is there are time slots that are locked in for postseason games. And the networks, frankly, don't care whether there's a bubble or not. They just need advance notice in order to make sure that the cameras are installed, they've got all of the bells and whistles that come with the postseason, and that they can get their crew there and get ready to go. But if you're looking to change slots and add afternoon games because you're having more games in a facility than you normally would, so you're having more afternoon games, that's going to require the permission of the broadcast partners. Because baked into the postseason contracts are a certain number of afternoon games. Do you know how when you watch the postseason now in a normal postseason, you would get the occasional afternoon games and teams would hate it. We had to host an afternoon game in 03 against the Giants and we played an afternoon game in San Francisco 
And we were bothered because, A, it was ego. We wanted to be the primetime game. We wanted MLB and the networks to care about us. But more importantly, we felt our players did not like playing in the afternoon. It completely upset their routine. And I've said that baseball is a complete game of routine and rhythm. And this season has completely thrown that into disarray. To the extent you can get routine back in the postseason, that to me would be important. So what you're going to see now over the coming weeks is more news on the postseason bubble. They are going to delay as long as possible. They're going to have many different cities that will be made available for the possibility of a bubble because they have to watch COVID. Who would think that New York could be a bubble possibility given where it was a few months ago? Who would think Florida couldn't given where we are now, but where we were a few weeks ago? Months ago, I guess it is. So the other way that we'll guarantee that baseball can actually happen is what we've called self-policing. It's a concept that has meant a lot to me over the years because it's always more impactful when players talk about players and help those players get through what they are need to do in order to be better. We have a situation in Cleveland where there is a lack of self-policing. And the reason that I know this is you heard me talk about the two players, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak, who were sent home for going out in Chicago. But then yesterday, something happened that I have not seen before. Two players on the Indians went public. One of them was the best player on the team, Francisco Lindor, And one of them was Adam Plutko, who is fine. I want to start with what Lindor said and then point out how unbelievable it is that he said that. He said, we have to sit and look ourselves in the mirror. And it's not about the person we see in the mirror. It's who's behind you, the other people. It's not about that one person. It's about everybody around you, the family members, the coaching staff, Carlos Carrasco, by the way, recovering from cancer. All the players on teams that are high risk. We're in a time right now with COVID, with racism, with everything. It's a time to be selfless. This is when we have to sit back and understand this is not about one person person specifically. It's about everybody. It's about your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbors. When Adam Pluko was asked what Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak can do to come back into the clubhouse and be welcomed back into the clubhouse, he said, they hurt us bad. They lied to us. They sat here and publicly said things that they didn't follow through on. It's going to be up to them. It really is. I'll let them sit here and tell you how they're going to earn their trust back. I don't need to put words in their mouths. The term that I continue to hear, and excuse my language, is grown-ass man. So those grown-ass men can sit here and tell you guys, talking to the media, what happened and tell you guys what they're going to do to fix it. I don't need to do that for them. Cleveland has a problem right now, and the problem, Terry Francona, as you know, has been missing games. If you don't know, he had some gastroenteritis issues, some stomach issues, and he has not been managing games. I actually did not check to see whether he's returned. I know he missed a bunch of games. I also know that the operations of the Indians, Chris Antonetti, Mark Chernoff, Those are high-quality, really, really good executives. That means I don't necessarily agree with everything they do, like holding on to Lindor one extra year, but they've now lost control of their clubhouse. 
When I tell you that I want the players to self-police, that means by definition, I want them to self-police within the four walls of the clubhouse. Because the first rule of the clubhouse, you don't talk about the clubhouse. The second rule of the clubhouse is you don't talk about the clubhouse. I don't need Lindor out there giving these comments. I need Lindor in the clubhouse talking to his teammates and to Clevenger directly and to please act directly. I don't need Plutko saying that these are grown ass men and they're going to have to figure out how to earn the trust back. When you're asked that by the media, here's what I would tell our players. You're going to be asked questions left and right about two players being put on the restricted list and sent home. What I want you to say is this is an internal issue that we are dealing with. But what matters to us most and above all is the health and safety of everyone in our organization and all those to whom we come in contact with. That's all. That's the perfect statement. Then when you're in the clubhouse, I want food trays thrown around. I want chairs stomped up and down. I want lockers ripped apart. I want to get up in the face of that player and say, listen, do you understand what you're doing? Do you understand the ramifications of positive tests and outbreaks or what happens if Terry Francona or other coaches or Carlos Carrasco gets COVID? Do you understand that I can't stop you from going out of your hotel, but I can at least explain to you what the ramifications are of your actions? I want that to happen in a closed atmosphere and it can. Take a look at Cleveland. They've got a tough division It's going to be a struggle for them, and this just makes it worse. When we come back, we're going to talk about an unbelievable game that happened in hockey. But first, we've got a special review. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back. It's episode 195, not counting the sit-downs or any bonus episodes. August 12, 2020, I'm reviewing a TV show that I've been watching since quarantine. I'm only in season six out of 16, but I couldn't wait any longer. It's a show that I never wanted to watch, ever. But then I started. And once I started, the addiction was so strong 
the love of the show was so deep. The feelings I had each episode, laughing, crying. I'm talking about the star of Outbreak. I'm talking about the star of Old School. I'm talking about the star of Knocked Up. And I'm talking about the star of Sideways. And what do they all have in common? Patrick Dempsey, Catherine Heigl, Christina Yang, Ellen Pompeo, Grey's Anatomy. I discovered Grey's Anatomy during quarantine. It is overwhelming. There's so many episodes. There are 44-minute episodes, 22 or 23 a season, 16 seasons. You cannot look at it like that. But if you start watching, you won't stop, and here's why. The character development, the cliffhangers, this show was going on when there were cliffhangers and there wasn't binging, right? It's still a weekly show that actually had to stop production because of coronavirus. But they're in the middle of a season there's some characters that are gone. How they leave is so shocking. Do yourself a favor and don't get any spoilers and let yourself fall in love with these characters. It's about a hospital. Gray is Meredith Gray, played by Ellen Pompeo. I thought Gray's Anatomy was based on the book that I always thought was a medical school book, but I must have that wrong. Maybe it's a play on that book, but her name is Meredith Gray. Patrick Dempsey the guy with the monkey from Outbreak, the race car driver, the one from all those young movies, Can't Buy Me Love, or and uh, when he was delivering pizza, the, the young guy, you know Patrick Dempsey. You may have heard of something called McDreamy. McDreamy, that's his character's name in Grey's Anatomy. I just ask you that if you have an opportunity and you're looking to pick up a show just that's smart, that feels right, that donated all their PP&E equipment that they use in the show to different cities, states, and municipalities who needed it when COVID first started. If you want to watch a show that, like MASH, my favorite show of all time, where during surgery you had to act with your eyes, that goes on in Grey's Anatomy. For all of you out there who love Grey's Anatomy, all I can say is I'm loving it right back with you. And I'm sorry it took so long to join this merry bandwagon of fabulous people. Grey's Anatomy. Check it out. Okay, guess what's happening right now as we record? The Boston Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes are playing a playoff game. Yeah, the game from last night, they're playing this morning at 11 a.m. Why is that? because the Bruins and Hurricanes game got suspended because the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Columbus Blue Jackets in five overtimes last night. For those of you who don't follow hockey, there's nothing like playoff hockey. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's cool. The up and down action. It's a great sport for TV. It's phenomenal. During the regular season, if there's a tie, they go into a shootout, which means you've got players who literally take penalty shots against a goalie. Whoever gets the most goals in the shootout, they win the game. But in the postseason, they just start playing more periods, which are three 20-minute periods in hockey. And in overtime, you play till the first person scores a goal, the first team. 
So every time you're going up and down the rink, someone could score. It's not like in baseball. I guess you can have a walk-off home run in the bottom of an, of an inning, any given pitch, but it's got to be the bottom of the inning, et cetera. In hockey, it can be off the first face-off, boom, one slap shot done, Paul Newman scores, and you've got yourself a winner. Well, it took 150 minutes of hockey last night, the fourth longest playoff game ever. During the fourth overtime, the NHL stood up and said, listen, Boston Bruins and Carolina Hurricanes, I know you've been here. You're ready to play. I'm sorry. What are we going to do? Go back to your hotel. We'll see you in the morning. That is a competitive disadvantage to them, period, hard stop. There's a competitive disadvantage to the Lightning and the Blue Jackets because their legs had to skate two games plus one game is three periods. The second game was the first three overtime periods. Then they played another game and a half. It's not reasonable. Why did hockey not change their rules the way baseball did in extra innings? Why did hockey, if you want to play one overtime period, fine. If you're still tied after one overtime period, you go to penalty shots. That's how it goes. This is a different type of season. Hockey started up again. They didn't have their legs under them. There was real no spring training or or second training camp to speak of. You want to get through the bubble. They're in two bubbles. They're going to make it into one bubble, one city, once the Stanley Cup starts. You've got to make the change. Gary Bettman, the commissioner of hockey, dropped the ball on this because he wasn't thinking. Because what are the chances that you have a five-overtime game? Do you know what the chances are? Have you ever been outside in the weather and it's a 20% chance of rain and then it starts raining? You're like, man, that was only a 20% chance of rain. No, no, that's a 100% chance of rain. There is a 100% chance that it will rain today because it's raining. Do you know what the chances are of having a five overtime hockey game in hockey this postseason? 100%. You can't plan as though it's not going to happen. Your job is to plan as though it is going to happen. What are the odds of baseball having a 27-inning game? Pretty slim. They changed the rules to make sure that doesn't happen. And their extra inning rule has worked perfectly. There's been a 13-inning game, but the overwhelming majority have ended in 10 or 11 innings. Now you're stuck with a compromised team, four teams, in my opinion, are compromised. Even though the Lightning won the game, imagine being the Columbus Blue Jackets for one quick second. It's too bad because Gary Bettman had a chance during this COVID break to really shine and come out from under the shadows of the big three sports, NFL, MLB, and NBA. Gary Bettman always was looked at as the fourth commissioner. And he had a chance now because his bubble idea and what he's done with Canada is working. Choosing Canada was the only possible correct choice given that Canada was not allowing Americans to come into Canada or anybody to come into Canada without quarantining for 14 days. But he missed the boat on this. Now, the fan side of me says that is incredibly exciting. I mean, overtime hockey, I loved watching it. But the reality was it never should have happened. Let's see what happens going forward. But watch those two series, Bruins Hurricanes, who are playing now, and Lightning Blue Jackets. NHL playoff hockey, love it. (sighs) Who watched Buffalo yesterday? Anyone? I watched the Buffalo Blue Jays play the Florida Marlins, 
and it was a great game. The Marlins hit a time three-run home run, two outs in the ninth on a 3-0 pitch. I know I Coca's yelling at me. I know I call them the Florida Marlins because I call them the Buffalo Blue Jays. It's not the Buffalo Blue Jays. It's not the Florida Marlins. It's the Toronto Blue Jays playing the Miami Marlins. Coke is saying it's the worst joke he's ever heard in 195 episodes. It wasn't a joke. It was just sort of a subtle thing I was doing. Can I go on, Coca? Are we good? I know you're busy and you've got shows to do and, you know, stuff to do because now you're the only one who takes care of nothing personal because we leave it up to the other people who are helping you and you know they're going to upload other podcasts and you're going to hear strange voices and it's going to be total anarchy. So you got to do everything alone. I'm just kidding, Mikey. I forgive you. For those of you who heard a different voice down yesterday, I apologize. That was not my voice. It's a, it's a good podcast called State of Combat, but clearly that was not nothing personal. It got switched. And on the same day that I had said that Mikey was so important to our show, doing the mailbags and everything else. By the way, it's August 12th. Please don't forget. Submit questions on Apple. Rate and review. There'll be a gift. Someone who's done a review. Once we get to a thousand reviews, I'm going to choose a review. And it won't be just a good one. I'll choose someone. There'll be a gift. Also, YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson. Let's get to a thousand subscribers. I know you're listening. I know you're watching. Just hit that damn button. I don't know why it matters, but it's like an ego thing. It's like a dopamine thing. It matters. Follow on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Tell your friends about nothing personal. We could be the podcast of the year. Maybe. Well, I told you that the Buffalo Blue Jays would win yesterday, and they did. They won in the 10th inning. I'm now four and six, the nothing personal pick of the day. We got a winner tonight, guaranteed. I mean, this is a slam dunk. The Philadelphia Phillies stink. I have a way to see from months ago that Joe Girardi will not be successful as manager of the Phillies, that David Ross will get the Cubs to the playoffs before Joe Girardi and the Phillies. That's how this season is turning out. The Phillies who signed Harper, they don't know what to do with JT Ralamuto. Their bullpen's a disaster. Their starting pitching stinks. It's just bad after bad after bad. Well, Joe Girardi's team lost to the Baltimore Orioles last night, who have been a pretty good surprise. And the way that we're going to work this pick today is that Joe Girardi will manage this game as though it is the seventh game of the World Series. He needs to win this game as though his job depended on it. And I'm going to say that there's going to be a temporary respite from the Philly stink. Joe Girardi's terrible. What's going on with the owner, John Middleton? It's a total cluster there in Philly, and they will beat the Orioles. Nothing personal pick of the day. We're trying to climb back to five and six, which, by the way, Coca, I'm not letting it go. It should be six and six. Okay. I want to end the show on something that happened with the Red Sox yesterday. And uh, the Red Sox have a, have a problem. You know they have a problem because they have no team. You know that their players are terrible and that they got under the luxury tax. And even in the expanded playoffs, they have no chance to make the playoffs. And you know that because you listen to nothing personal. What I love is it public. It was publicly stated yesterday. That Alex Verdugo, remember Alex, the despondent player traded in the Mookie Betts trade, who was on the Dodgers, who never won a World Series, but made it. He then was a great young player who was going to contribute, and then he got traded to the Red Sox. Ugh. 
Terrible. They've got another good young player named Andrew Benatendi. Good. These are good players. They went public. It let it be known that they approached their manager, Ron Renneke. Remember, Ron Renneke was the interim manager taking over for the fired Alex Cora, who had won manager of the year and won a World Series with the Red Sox, but got basically in trouble for being the bench coach with the Astros during the garbage can banging sign stealing scandal. That Ron Renke was manager of the Brewers, was the bench coach who we said would become the manager of the Red Sox, and then as an interim manager became a full-time manager. These players approached their manager and said they each want to hit second in the lineup. So second in the lineup used to be an on-base guy. Now it's evolved into your best player hits second in the lineup whether it's Judge, used to be Stanton, to me, Trout. Your best players ought to be hitting second. Some people say they should be hitting third. No one any longer says your best player hits cleanup. You want to get the most at-bats you can. So two players, young players, on a losing organization currently, obviously Boston Red Sox are hugely successful, four World Series championships and so forth. How would I deal with players going up to a manager saying, here's where I want to hit in the lineup. I'm glad you asked. And the reason you asked is because you'd assume what my answer is going to be. And in this case, you'd be spot on. So Ron Renke goes to the GM of the Red Sox, then the president of the Red Sox, and says, all right, you know, let's talk about our lineup. And... We got a situation because we got two players who want to hit second. And our answer would be to the manager, well, what did you tell them? And the manager should have told the players, well, thank you for your input. But when I post the lineup at six o'clock for a seven o'clock game, check to see if your name's there and check to see where you are in the lineup. And do me a favor, be ready to hit when I tell you to hit. But a player-friendly manager would say, I really want to take your desires into account. Let me speak to the GM and let me see where we come out on this. So the manager goes to the GM and says, hey, we got two guys. They want a bat second. What are your thoughts? The GM goes to the analytics department. The GM goes to his other close advisors. They come out with their lineup. Do you know what input when you're going through analytics and we're figuring out your best lineup and you're looking at stats And do you know when the manager doesn't use analytics but just uses his old-school managerial know-how and makes his lineup, do you know how often they take into account where a player wants to hit? Zero. Not one time. Literally. When these players say, whether I bet leadoff, whether I bet second, I think I'd be better at the second. I've got a higher average when I'm at first versus second. I'm better at third. I feel better about batting fourth, not second. I don't like batting ninth because there was the pitcher, but then there's not the pitcher. We don't care. We, do you think that we're putting out a lineup that is not the best lineup to win a game that particular day? Do I think for one minute that you're the type of player that if you're not hitting second, you're not going to perform as well? Because if so, then I don't care what analytics say. I want you off my team. Alex Verdugo and Andrew Benatendi ought to spend more time being better players and less time complaining about where they want to hit or staying where they want to hit. 
I'm the president of that team or the GM. I'm going down to that clubhouse and making it very clear. You bat where I tell you to bat. You come when I tell you to come. You play when I tell you to play. Because this is our business. Wherever you hit, you're a major leaguer getting paid. Eh, It's nothing personal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.